Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Honestly, you don't want to be taking generic legal advice from a YouTube channel or podcast in any event. On with the show. Tofu sues FaZe Clan, our esports company's talent agencies. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we have yet another lawsuit to examine, this time in the wild and wacky world of esports. Now, we're going to go over the main article that I saw yesterday that was linked to me on my Twitter at Hogue Law. Uh, to discuss on a virtual legality episode. I took a look at the materials that were provided and thought it was interesting enough to discuss, not so much for a number of the claims that there are, are made in that lawsuit, but for one in particular that I do think has a chance of potentially restructuring the world of, in particular, streamer and YouTube agency type contracts, uh, because I do think they have a point the way the definitions in the statute in California read. That all being said, You saw the disclaimer at the top of this video, at the top of the podcast, but this is California law. I'm a Michigan-barred attorney. I'm a Michigan-based attorney. I do have a national practice. I have clients all over the place, including clients in California, but California law is its own ball of wax, even more so than any other jurisdiction in the United States. And in particular, this claim comes up against California's employment laws, which, as anybody practicing law in the United States is aware are more wild and wacky than perhaps some of their other laws. And so when we talk about this, this really is educational, informational. You'll see some of the process I go through when I'm looking to see whether something even kind of can hold water as a claim. And I think some of it does and some of it doesn't. But this is not a legal brief. This is not a research paper. This is what you wind up paying litigators and paying lawyers to do for days and weeks and months at a time. The phase group that has been sued that we're going to talk about in this article is undoubtedly looking at all of their defenses, talking to lawyers about what it is that they can claim as a defense in California, how they can kick some of this out of court. And that's what they get paid to do. Virtual Legality, on the other hand, took a look at this article, is going to go through the lawsuit, the claims that have been made, going to look at some other California attorneys and what they have to say about the laws in question and give you an overview of what kind of probably makes sense and what doesn't but not with any kind of claim as to what a judge will do. That's one of the pieces of advice that I often give to my clients, even in Michigan or in other jurisdictions with which I'm more familiar uh, on how their laws operate. Judges can do anything. Juries can do anything. Litigation is always a risk. We can get the right magic words in the contract. We can get you in the best position possible where we think 99% of the time you're going to win your claim, but that 1% still comes up. That 1% can still happen. The judge can just decide that a contract uh, should not be enforced regardless of what the parties have agreed to on the page. And in California, in respect of what could be potentially construed as a kind of non-competition provision, I don't think it's the case here, the judge could say, yep, you're right. It should be void for public policy regardless of the words that people have agreed to. So with that as the disclaimer, let's dive into what the actual claim is, because this really is fascinating. This is one of the bigger 
uh, items uh, to have happened in certainly esports uh, history, given the size, given the popularity of the uh, characters involved. So let's take a look. This is in the Hollywood Reporter to give you some kind of uh, understanding of how uh, big this is. And it says Esports Pro sues gaming organization FaZe Clan, FaZe Clan, over oppressive contract. Now, you heard me stumble over FaZe and FaZe Clan just now. I will say uh, the pronunciations here, everybody in this is new to me. So I think it's pronounced FaZe Clan. It could be Fozzy Clan. It could be a number of other things. Esports and video gaming in general likes to have fun with words and sounds uh, that come out of their handles. And so if I stumble over these pronunciations, if you're a big fan of either FaZe Clan or this person, I'm going to guess is pronounced Tofu, which is T-F-U-E, then I apologize. I'm going to pronounce it that way. And you can correct me in the comments and tell me how it's supposed to be pronounced. But the subheading for this says Turner Tenney, a 21-year-old professional gamer, known as TFUE Tofu, says FaZe Clan is violating California law and the Talent Agency Act. One of the world's top professional esports players is suing his gaming organization for allegedly restraining his business opportunities and taking up to 80% of his earnings in a complaint that argues esports players' representatives should be regulated like agents of film and TV stars. Turner Tenney, a 21-year-old professional gamer known as Tofu, on Monday, sued FaZe Clan for allegedly limiting his ability to pursue his profession in violation of California law, passing on a lucrative brand deal because of a conflict of interest and failing to pay him his share of sponsorship earnings. In no uncertain terms, these gamers are artists, entertainers, and content creators. They perform, they act, they direct, they edit, and they stream, writes attorney Brian Friedman of Friedman and Tattleman in the complaint. Unlike traditional entertainment, esports is a new industry, and Friedman argues that there is little to no regulation or oversight and no unions or guilds to protect the players who are often young and trusting. Then they describe the esports scene, that there's a lot of money up for grabs. If you're following virtual legality, chances are you know how much money is up for grabs, how much money Ninja has made, and how he's appeared on magazine covers and major national publications and things of that nature. Esports, streaming, age of the influencer, we've discussed this at length. On virtual legality, there is certainly a lot of money to be made. The gamer agreement is grossly oppressive, onerous, and one-sided, writes Friedman in the complaint. We're going to go over these complaints in more detail because The Hollywood Reporter did the right thing in their article and actually linked to the primary document, the complaint itself. So that gives us the opportunity to go through it line by line. And then he talks about how it's illegal. We're going to discuss that uh, in in a minute And then they also claim that it's in violation of the Talent Agency Act, which we're also going to take a look at the laws that are exerted by the state of California and what the Talent Agency Act does. It essentially requires folks that go out and find business for entertainers to be licensed in California uh, and to have certain restrictions on their contracts uh, that are going to be approved by the labor commissioner in California. And because they're not licensed, because they didn't think that esports and Twitch streaming and all this fell under the buckets of the Talent Agency Act. And in fairness, it hasn't before because these things are so young and they are so new that they aren't licensed. They haven't had these contracts approved. And in this case, Tofu's attorneys are trying to push forward the concept that because they're not licensed, they're in violation of that act. They should have their contracts voided. They should have penalties. They should owe damages, uh, things of that nature. And it goes on to say, Tofu and my law firm are sending a message The time is now for content creators, gamers, and streamers to stop being taken advantage of 
through oppressive, unfair, and illegal agreements. The significant legal actions taken today will be a wake-up call that this behavior will no longer be tolerated. The gaming community deserves a safe environment that allows gamers the freedom to control their own careers. And then we get a response from FaZe Clan. FaZe Clan actually commented back on this article. This wasn't a part of the article uh, when I initially read it yesterday. And it says, FaZe Clan says, We are shocked and disappointed to see the news of Tofu's press article and lawsuit. Over the course of our partnership with him, which began in April of 2018, so just a little over a year ago, FaZe Clan has collected $0 in tournament winnings, $0 in Twitch revenue, $0 in YouTube revenue, and $0 from any social platform. In fact, we've only collected a total of about $60,000 from our partnership, which because of all those zeros you imagine is, is from sponsorships of some kind. While Tofu has earned millions as a member of FaZe Clan, while contracts are different with each player, all of them, including, including Tofu's, have a maximum of 20% to FaZe Clan in both tournament winnings as well as content revenue with 80% to the player. In Turner's case, Tofu's case, neither of those have been collected by FaZe Clan. We're proud of what we've accomplished together in the past year with Turner and will continue to support him. Now, on that last point, I do have to say, once you get to the point where you are suing your contract partner, chances are this isn't going to be an amicable divorce. Even if all of this gets settled, and we're going to talk about why I think this lawsuit went into place and what I think is happening here. Even if all of this gets settled, the, the contract is terminated, they move on from all of this drama chances are they're not going to be working together very long in the future unless it's just so lucrative to both sides that it makes sense to bury the hatchet and let bygones be bygones. But that's a rare circumstance. Once you have decided to pull the trigger on a lawsuit, that tends to mostly burn the bridges that you have entered into with these other uh, contract partners. So while they say they want to continue to support him because he is a big name, he is a big character in the esports scene, I strongly suspect this is the end, or at least the beginning of the end, of their partnership. And again, I wasn't familiar with these players, so I did wind up looking up uh, Tofu, and just to get a little brief description of who this person is, if you're not familiar with it, I found it on a site uh, run by Fandom called Wikitubia, which I didn't know existed. This is always fun to go on the internet and find new information. It says, Turner Tenney, uh, born in January 98, so he's 21 years old. Better known as Tofu, is an American esports player who was born in Florida. He has gained most of his success playing Fortnite, as he is best known as the best player in the world. People claim Tofu is better than Ninja and better than the entire community of Fortnite. Currently, Tofu is on a hiatus due to a swollen neck. Uh, on June 8, 2018, Tofu and his friends uh, once set a PC world record with the most squad kills, presumably in Fortnite, ever of 53, and although it isn't the record entirely, it was a PC record. Then it goes on and talks a little bit about his history, how he got banned from Twitch for some slurs and things like that, and then it finally has a brief description of the lawsuit against FaZe, but we're going to talk about that right now. So this is a big leading character in the esports scene, in the streaming scene. This is not a, a minor figure, and so that's why it's in the Hollywood Reporter, and also because of the actual claims made, in particular the Talent Agency Act claim, because that is, in my opinion, the best weapon they have in this lawsuit. The other stuff is going to be a little bit weaker, but we're going to talk about that in detail, because as I said, The Hollywood Reporter was kind enough to actually make the complaint available, which is always my favorite thing from journalists. Thank you very much, Hollywood Reporter. Anyone who's reporting on lawsuits in particular, if you could always link to the lawsuit or the opinion or whatever it is that you're referencing in your article, it is much appreciated by folks like me 
uh, and others that are commenting or thinking about the issues that you present in your story. So this is the complaint. This is Turner Tenney, uh, known as Tofu, an individual suing FaZe Clan Inc., which is organized as a Delaware corporation, as most corporations are in the United States. And maybe that'll be a video series on its own. But you see that he's asking for declaratory relief, uh, which is not generally monetary damages. It's asking the court to do something, to order something to happen. He's also at, complaining about unfair business practices, uh, money that hasn't been given to him, quantum merit, which is a legal concept that says, uh, when I do something for you and there isn't a contract that you still potentially owe me some money because of uh, principles of justice and equity. And that, of course, because they do have a contract, comes into play if the contract is declared void. So when you ask the court to void the contract, you've got a little bit of a legal problem because you want to say, okay, now they owe me money or that they haven't paid me for the contract that doesn't exist anymore. So you throw on a quantum Merowit claim and say, okay, if that contract doesn't exist anymore, they still owe me because I still did stuff for them. They also claim breach of the contract and breach of fiduciary duty. If you're familiar with virtual legality or my uh, appearances in terms of uh, letter responses to the easy allies, fiduciary duty is one of our favorite phrases. Uh, this is an interesting uh, use of the term fiduciary duty because in a contractual relationship, you have certain obligations of operating in good faith and fair dealing. You're not necessarily a fiduciary of the other party, so it becomes an interesting claim. We'll get to that. That's obviously the seventh claim. But this complaint is relatively short, so we can go through it in relatively short order. But I think we can discuss what they're talking about, how California law works in uh, relation to where the rest of the states fall on non-competition provisions, and what is actually being done here, why this lawsuit exists. So first, we start out in the introduction, and they talk about esports being big and being great. We don't really need that background, but it says esports is a new and rapidly growing entertainment format. Because the esports industry is so new, there is little to no regulation or oversight. There are no real organizations such as unions or guilds to help protect the content creators, streamers that drive the industry. Most of these content creator streamers are also very young and are also unsophisticated, unseasoned, and trusting. As a result, these young content creator streamers are susceptible to being taken advantage of and exploited, often by those that are supposed to be looking out for their best interests. Unfortunately, this has become industry standard. So in this second claim, you're setting the groundwork. You're the litigator. You're bringing this claim on behalf of Tofu. And you know there's a contract that's in existence. You know that Tofu signed an agreement with FaZe Clan that said certain things. Unfortunately, that contract itself was not an exhibit to this complaint at this point in time. That might come out later, uh, and we can actually reflect on the actual terminology used. But what they're trying to set up with this claim by saying esports is big and these people are getting, you see the word exploited here, which is a loaded term, especially in a legal complaint. They're trying to establish that regardless of what the words say, regardless of what the provisions say, the California court should step in and declare it void or otherwise change the agreement because it is offensive to the public conscience. There is a uh, rule, there's a standard in law that essentially says, yes, people are allowed to contract for almost everything they want. We have spent many episodes on virtual legality talking about how the baseline United States assumption is that people should be allowed the freedom to contract for what they want. So if you want to enter into a stupid contract, that's up to you. Uh, if the other side convinces you to enter into a stupid contract, as long as they're not lying about things, as long as they're disclosing what the contract actually is, they're not hiding the ball, then for the most part, the United States courts are going to allow that. By setting the groundwork like they are in this lawsuit, 
what this lawyer is trying to say is, regardless of what this agreement says, because you're going to see an agreement where my client has agreed to all sorts of things, this is exploitative. These are bad actors. They have unclean hands, and you should be okay using your equitable powers as a court to throw parts of or all of this contract away because it is so unjust. And in California, in particular, that jurisdiction is one where claims of an oppressive contract, claims of exploitative provisions in contracts are, in general, historically more likely to carry the day with courts than they are in other jurisdictions. If you try to bring a contract claim in a place like uh, Delaware or in a place like New York, uh, where you have a more commercial kind of focus on the way contracts are entered into, these are much harder claims to make. It's not to say you can't win that claim in Delaware or New York, but in California, especially when you're talking about an individual versus an entity, a corporation, a Delaware corporation in this case, that is the kind of circumstance where you've got a better chance of kicking out a contractually agreed to provision or an entire contract than you do in other contexts. And so that's the groundwork that he's trying to lay right at the very beginning of the complaint. Then he describes Tofu. Uh, then he describes FaZe Clan. They, he describes FaZe Clan as an esports entertainment company. Though Tenny, Tofu's brief relationship with FaZe Clan, or through it, he has come to learn that FaZe Clan subscribes to the business model described above. FaZe Clan's goal is essentially to own Tenny and other content creators, streamers, and professional gamers. Tenny signed a gamer agreement with FaZe Clan when Tenny was only 20 years old. Let's stop right there. So again, you're trying to frame this as he's unsophisticated, he's young, it should be thrown out. The age of majority in California, as far as I'm aware, the age of majority in most states in the country is 18. And that means that the state has determined that by the time you get to the age of 18, you are capable of entering into contractual relationships. You're capable of consenting to uh, a reduction in your rights, to giving away certain things. Uh, and an employment agreement is a certain reduction in rights, right? You agree to be somewhere from nine to five. You agree to do certain things in exchange for a check or in exchange for benefits. And so this statement here that he was only 20 years old, again, is trying to set the groundwork. As soon as I saw that, I said, well, okay, you're trying to get a little bit ahead of the game there because he is capable of entering into a contract. 20 is not 14. 20 is not 12. Uh, and even in those cases, you've got California law, you've got California rules that allow for minors to enter into certain kinds of contracts, especially talent-based contracts, because there are so many uh, young people that work in and around the in entertainment industry in California. So this is, again, trying to set the framework. You're trying to set the mood of the judge who will be reading this complaint, but it's not actually very pertinent to the legal argument. Then they say that gamer agreement is grossly oppressive, onerous, and one-sided. That's just a statement out of nowhere. It's just a it's just a claim. It's not necessarily a legal one. It's just again trying to set the groundwork. Indeed, the gamer agreement purportedly entitles FaZe Clan to a finder's fee of up to 80% of the revenue paid by third parties for Tenny's services. Now I look at this and I say, okay, 80% is a high number. In general, when you're talking about agency agreements, you're talking about re representative agreements of any kind, you're generally talking about 10%, 20%, 5%, something like that. So 80% looks like a lot. Uh, but you don't see a quote here from the contract. You don't actually see what they're describing and you don't have FaZe Clan saying they take 80% in that comment they made to the Hollywood Reporter. So this one rings a little bit false to me. I would be very interested in seeing what the actual provisions of the agreement are. They, he also goes on to say, FaZe Clan uses illegal and anti-competitive provisions in the gamer agreement to severely limit Tenny's ability to compete in the marketplace. 
These conspicuously anti-competitive provisions, which are probably found in every FaZe Clan gamer agreement, saying FaZe probably uses it with the other gamers as well, undoubtedly violate California Business and Professions Code. So we're going to get to that in a second. This is section 16600, and this is one of the main pieces of California law that the rest of us in the rest of the United States uh, look at and are always concerned about when we're dealing with California contracts. Uh, and it's basically the, the piece of law that says you can't have non-compete provisions, which we will talk about. But the fact that he says it undoubtedly violates it, as best I can tell, is way, way over the line. That this this statute in particular has only been used in certain contexts and not in the context which he's using it right now. And so you start to see them stealing bases. Obviously, it's a complaint. This is what you expect. You want to go as strong as possible in most instances, but you also don't want to go over that line where somebody can throw out your argument entirely. And I think... The, six, the Section 16600 claim and the related unfair trade practices claim is probably one of those, uh, and we'll talk about that in detail in just a second. In simple terms, FaZe Clan uses its illegal gamer contracts to limit Tenny to deals sourced exclusively by FaZe Clan and to prevent Tenny from exploring deals presented by others, deals that are potentially superior to deals procured by FaZe Clan and deals that are not saddled with an 80% finder's fee. FaZe Clan's gamers agreements are illegal for yet another reason. And this is really the main crux of the issue that I think might, might have uh, a valid leg to stand on. They violate California's Talent Agency Act, which protects artists from those like FaZe Clan that act as an unlicensed talent agency. Though FaZe Clan does not hold the requisite talent agency license, FaZe Clan continuously and systematically procures and attempts to procure employment and engagements for Tenny as an artist in violation of the labor code. As a result of FaZe Clan's violation of California's Talent Agency Act, the California Labor Commissioner is concurrently presiding over and considering a petition to determine controversy. A copy of that petition is attached here to as Exhibit 1. So in addition to the complaint, the lawsuit that FaZe, uh, that that Tofu's attorneys are bringing against FaZe, they are also essentially petitioning the labor commissioner to say, hey, wait a minute, you have jurisdiction over the, what FaZe is doing here. You should think about exerting that jurisdiction and claiming that they're operating without a license. They're doing both at the same time, and that makes sense. That's perfectly normal for somebody to advocate on a legal basis. And when we, when we get to the actual description of the complaints, this is essentially the overview or the abstract of what is being claimed here. We are going to talk about the Talent Agency Act because I do think... He probably has a point, uh, at least if what is being described here is accurate, that FaZe Clan is going out and procuring sponsorships and engagements for Tofu to act under the breadth of the statute that is the Talent Agency Act in California probably does apply to that kind of relationship based on just the statutory reading and certainly not based on precedent. As far as I know, California has never applied it to an esports company or to a streaming company like this one. This would be an issue of first impression, a novel issue for the labor commissioner to decide, for the courts to decide. But it is, in my view, a good one. And we're going to look at why it's a good one when we look at the definitions that are actually in the labor code. Finishing up with the abstract, FaZe Clan's illegal contracts and illegal procurement of employment are only the beginning of FaZe Clan's misconduct. Though FaZe Clan is supposed to be looking out for Tenny's best interest, FaZe Clan has done the opposite. As Tenny's agent, FaZe Clan receives payment on Tenny's behalf from third parties for the sponsorship deals that include Tenny's services. In breach of the gamer agreement and FaZe Clan's common law obligations, FaZe Clan has retained those payments without distributing them to Tenny. Equally egregious is FaZe Clan's breach of its fiduciary duty of loyalty owed to Tenny. 
Acting in the capacity of Tenny's agent, FaZe Clan rejected at least one sponsorship deal on Tenny's behalf due to a glaring conflict of interest. Now, you see the base that's stolen there, and it might be a base that's legitimate, as we just discussed with respect to the Talent Agency Act, but they are presuming that FaZe Clan is acting as an agent, when presumably one of their defenses, when it actually comes out, will be that they are not an agent. They are something different. They're a manager or, or something that gives them a little bit of wiggle room for application of the California Act. But if they are an agent, they claim a number of different things, including a fiduciary duty breach. And agents, representatives of a person do have a duty, do, do have a duty of loyalty, have a duty of care, uh, have certain other duties that are probably related to those main duties uh, in terms of having that contractual relationship, acting as a representative of that person. And certainly if they received money and they had a contractual obligation to pass that money on and they didn't do that, which is one of the things that's alleged in this complaint, which we'll get to, that's a bad thing. That's a breach of contract. That doesn't necessarily require all of this extra drama, uh, but it would be a breach of contract if they did do that. Now, they said in their comment to The Hollywood Reporter that we read that they hadn't collected any additional money that they hadn't passed on, but who knows who's telling the truth there. That is the kind of issue of fact that a court can determine, that discovery can determine, and is useful for things like that. The final complaint in the, uh, in the abstract, in the overview here, is until now, FaZe Clan has enjoyed the fruits of this illegal business model with impunity because no one could or was willing to stand up to FaZe Clan. Those days are over. Through this action, Tenny seeks to shift the balance of power to the gamers and content creators, streamers, those who are actually creating value and driving the industry. As a result of this action, others will hopefully take notice of what is going on and help to clean up esports. Again, that's another bit of ground laying, a bit of philosophical musing of rhetoric, because it's not establishing any kind of legal complaint. It's essentially saying they are bad actors. A lot of this, as you can see, is these guys are bad guys, Judge. You should help us out, regardless of what the words in the contract say, because FaZe Clan are bad guys and took advantage of my young, unsophisticated client in a way that California should not approve of. You can see the contours of what the overall claim is. Then we get into a description of the parties, which we've already covered. And then we get into a description of the first cause of action, which is labeled here as for declaratory relief against FaZe Clan, termination of the gamer agreement. In or around April or May of 2018, FaZe Clan and Tenny entered into a certain written gamer agreement with the effective date of April 27, 2018. The gamer agreement was entered into in California. Tenny was only 20 years old at the time. Again, repeating the 20-year-old comment to establish that it's young, unsophisticated person when, again, at least as far as the state is concerned, he is old enough to make these kinds of decisions. The gamer agreement had an initial term of six months and would automatically be extended for an additional 36 months if certain conditions were met. Now, that's a little bit unusual. Generally speaking, you have an initial term and then you have a renewal term that probably matches the initial term. But when I see the description of the gamer agreement in that way, I see it as probably a probationary period and then what is supposed to be a real three-year contract, a three-year commitment uh, to FaZe Clan. So they, they check it out for six months. There's probably an opt-out exit ramp at the six-month time frame for either side to say, hey, you know what? This was nice to try, but it doesn't work out for us. And then the 36 months, the three years kicks in. Uh, but it's really intended to be a three-year contract with a trial phase, would be my guess. Uh, then it continues on to say, the section of the gamer agreement entitled Compensation requires FaZe Clan to distribute certain percentages of monies or other consideration to Tenny from any brand deals featuring Tenny that exist on gamer 
or companies' content creation platforms or social media sites and appearances, comma, touring. In other words, FaZe Clan has to distribute money to Tenny that it receives in connection with uh, Tenny's content creation platforms. The gamer agreement purported to require such monies to be paid directly to FaZe Clan on Tenny's behalf. So in respect of these relationships, FaZe Clan was supposed to collect the money, hold back its commission, and then remit the rest of the funds out to Tenny. FaZe Clan was required to then distribute those funds to Tenny, as I just said. Specifically, the section of the gamer agreement entitled Payment Terms requires FaZe Clan to distribute certain payments to Tenny pursuant to the following schedule. All prizes, capital P, so that was a defined term in the agreement, and other income generated in connection with this agreement shall be payable to and collected by a company, FaZe Clan, and company shall account and pay gamer his or her share of such income on a monthly basis within 30 days after the end of each month. So a standard kind of invoicing. You'll get your payments for what you earn this month, next month, provided, however, that any prizes received from tournaments and or matches, specifically prizes for his play, that are over $5,000 will be paid to gamer within 30 days of receipt thereof by company. In other words, you have to wait until next month to get your money, except that in the case of uh, a, a one prize, something that you win, a tournament that you win, you'll get it within 30 days of that tournament. You don't have to, the 30-day timer doesn't start at the end of the month, like in respect of all other payments. So if there's a massive, massive prize that you win, you'll get your fees remitted from FaZe Clan within 30 days of the prize actually being won. You don't have to wait for the end of the month to start the timer on, on the invoicing. Um, which is fine. That all makes sense to me. And you saw in the Hollywood Reporter response from FaZe Clan that they haven't actually remitted any tournament money or things like that, which suggests, at least from FaZe Clan's perspective, that they are claiming that if he won any of those funds, uh, which I believe he would have, although I haven't followed his career or anything like that, that they were paid to him and that probably the end of this, in addition to claiming that they're not a talent agency, they will probably claim that he owes them some money uh, of his own that he earned money that he otherwise should have paid at least the 20% that they think that they are applying to his winnings uh, to them. Um, so that would be my guess what will happen here, but we'll see. And certainly that assumes certain facts that we don't know the full details of. Uh, since the inception of the gamer agreement, FaZe Clan actively participated in the procurement and negotiation of sponsorship deals, which included Tenny's service as an artist. Now they're using specific words here to match up with the Talent Agency Act that we will discuss. FaZe Clan frequently and continually presented such sponsorship opportunities to Tenny. Under these proposed sponsorship deals procured by FaZe Clan, sponsors would agree to pay monies so that their brands, goods, and or services would be promoted in connection with videos featuring Tenny's performances and created by Tenny and or live performances. Stated differently, Tenny would perform creative services, performing in and creating video content and or live performances in connection with these sponsorship deals. By way of example only, Tenny created and performed in a video for sponsor Digital Storm, promoting Digital Storm's products that garnered over 19 million views. FaZe Clan has also procured and attempted to procure modeling engagements for Tenny, where he would model apparel and jewelry for certain sponsors. Upon information and belief, FaZe Clan has received payment of funds on Tenny's behalf from third parties under the sponsorship deals that included Tenny's services. FaZe Clan has retained those payments from third parties without distributing them to Tenny. FaZe Clan's continuous failure to distribute these monies to Tenny constitutes a material breach of the gamer agreement. So that's one of the main issues here, and that's one of the main issues of dispute. I suspect FaZe Clan has their own thoughts on what happened with these agreements and with the money in general. But they are claiming that FaZe Clan organized these sponsorships, that Tenny, Tofu, worked with these sponsorships, created this video content, 
that FaZe Clan got paid for that, and under the provision that was in the gamer agreement that we read, they owe Tenny some percentage of those earnings. Now, it's interesting that the provision that we read doesn't actually talk about what his share is. We saw the reference to 80% up above, but I strongly suspect there's something in the language here that they don't like, that they didn't want to quote from the gamer agreement itself, because all this says is that they will pay out his share uh, and whatever that might be. And there might be certain things that change that share, certain things that require them to retain additional expenses that were made on his behalf and part of procuring these sponsors. There's a bunch of other things that could be in the contract that don't appear here. But the main claim is that they earned money, they owed him a portion of money, they didn't pay it out. And that very well might be the case. And if that is the case, they've got a legitimate breach of contract claim and the FaZe Clan owes them this money under the agreement that they entered into. This doesn't require the judge to make any other kind of equitable determinations about the oppressiveness of the contract or any of the other stuff that they bring up in their claim. If FaZe Clan owed this money, if they collected money and didn't pay out his share, then they breached the agreement to the extent that the agreement required them to pay it out. And so that's a fully legitimate, normal contractual claim. And he certainly would have a beef if this, in fact, is the case. It then goes on to say that he tried to terminate the agreement on or about September 26, 2018. Uh, through his counsel, tried to terminate it pursuant to one of the provisions in the agreement. In respect to the September 26th letter, FaZe Clan disputed the termination. Now, the interesting thing about that particular date is that we've got the agreement that starts in April 27, 2018. It says it has an initial term of six months, which would have it ending on October 27, 2018. Generally speaking, there would be a framework, there would be a time frame for the individual and the entity to terminate the agreement at that six-month marker on October 27, 2018, probably with a set of notice provisions given to the company, maybe on a 30-day basis, and that would match up with the fact that he tried to terminate on September 26, 2018, just before the 30-day mark. Uh, that would be in front of the natural ending point of the six-month probation period in October of 2018. Now, the reason I flag that for you is that these dates are interesting because there's no real reason to try to terminate it for a breach of agreement, uh, which is what happened here, what they're claiming happened here, when the agreement itself probably has an off-ramp, probably has an exit condition that could be met that terminates the thing naturally in October of 2018. Instead, they try to terminate it. They say no. And then what happens? Nothing happens. Apparently, they let the window go. They go through the six-month probation period. Once you get to October of 2018, then the three-year timer trips. Then you actually have an instance where he's on the hook for three years of a relationship with this company that he had decided within the six-month window he wasn't enjoying working with. This continues to say, in an abundance of caution, on or about May 20th, 2019. So now we're months and months and months later. Tenney, through his counsel, sent FaZe Clan yet another letter reiterating that FaZe Clan was in breach of the gamer agreement due to its failure to distribute all payments to Tenney as required by the gamer agreement. But it's absolutely unclear as to what happened during that six-month probationary window. And it's skipped in this complaint. And that's going to be one of those interesting points that will either come out in discovery or will come out in the counter complaint that FaZe winds up filing is what happened then. Certainly it appears that he was okay with it. Whatever they said, whatever they exchanged in terms of a relationship at that time, September and October of 2018, he became okay with it. And then the three-year timer was tripped 
Maybe he didn't realize it. Maybe he wasn't happy with it. But something happened in between September and May that changed the relationship between these companies, between him and this entity. And that's going to be part of the story that's being told. It certainly sounds to me like somebody made a mistake. Somebody gave bad advice. I don't know whether this council was the council that sent the letter back in September of 2018. Maybe it was a different council uh, that he got bad advice on. But certainly when you're in that window before the end of the probationary period and you're unhappy with the relationship, you want to have it canceled at that six-month window and not fall into the three-year contract because now you're sitting here in May of 2019 and if this contract isn't kicked out, if it isn't voided for things like oppression and exploitation, then you are on the hook for a relationship that you don't like with this company for a three-year period. And that, I think, is the story of what we're seeing here. We've got a lot of bluster. We've got a lot of rhetoric. But what we have here is a guy, Tofu, who in all likelihood got bigger than he thought he would, faster than he thought he would get that big and signed onto a contract that requires him to give a portion of his earnings to FaZe Clan. He doesn't feel like they're earning that portion. He resents the fact that he has to pay them that money, and he wants to get out of the contract by any means necessary. This is a typical kind of setup for buyer's remorse. We see this all the time in contracts that I negotiate for my clients, uh, for contracts that I negotiate against other people that have that buyer's remorse. Whatever it is, There are, in our own lives, instances where you think you've got the right plan, you think you've got the right idea, and shortly after it has come to fruition, you decide that it's the wrong way to go, but you've taken certain actions, you've taken certain steps that maybe bind you to a specific course of action. Whether that's a mortgage on your house, whether that's a contract like this one, this looks to me like a person that is unhappy having this contract and is now looking for a way to get out of it. Now, if FaZe Clan is legitimately stealing his money, that's entirely legitimate. Get him for breach, go get your money back, and move on with your life. But they use a lot of extra uh, weapons. They use a lot of extra ammo to try to get this contract kicked out and are really quite disparaging to FaZe Clan as a kind of predatory, exploitative company in the complaint. That's one of the reasons why this is not an amicable type fight. This is a fight where Tofu and his counsel decided to claim that FaZe Clan was the devil, was absolutely evil, and that's one of those reasons why I don't think this relationship is very likely to continue. Not the least of which is because they tried to end this relationship before the six-month probationary period uh, was ended. Then they ask for a judicial declaration uh, about the breach, uh, saying that Tenney seeks a declaration that as a result of the termination of the gamer agreement based on the breach, that Tenney does not continue to owe FaZe Clan any further obligations under the agreement. Again, we see here, and this is the main claim that they make, is kick out the contract, kick out the contract. I shouldn't be obligated under the contract. I think at the end of the day, if the settlement was fine, go away, kid. We don't want you involved in the clan probably this all goes away and maybe that's where it ends uh, because this is a very public kind of argument it hits the hollywood reporter it hits a number of other websites and they probably should just get out of the relationship unless it really is so lucrative and has a possibility of being so lucrative uh, for them the second cause of action is that 16600 claim it says realleges everything before And then the gamer agreement contains several provisions that constitute illegal and anti-competitive restraints on trade in violation of Section 16600. So let's go to Section 16600 uh, real quickly because it's a very difficult statute to read, very long, very complicated. Oh, wait, no, it's one sentence. Except as provided in this chapter, which gives exceptions, every contract by which anyone 
is restrained from engaging in a lawful profession, trade, or business of any kind is to that extent void. A couple things going on here, but it talks about voiding contracts and not necessarily provisions, which is, of course, uh, more substantial than simply kicking out a non-competition provision or something along those lines. And then it uses very broad language. It says anyone is restrained from. And you've seen in California this continue to get expanded from just non-competition provisions to non-solicitation provisions and things of that nature. And so while it is a simple sentence, its basic use in California has been to eliminate the ability of a California employment or consulting contract to have within it a non-competition provision. If you're not familiar with contracts or if you're not familiar with employment relationships, a non-competition provision generally is a provision that says, hey, while you're working here and for a period of time after you're working here, you won't be able to compete with the company. And the nature of these things, at least as perceived by the rest of the country, is that certain people are going to have access to your secret sauce, your trade secrets, the way you operate, some real good stuff that if it were in the hands of a competitor would unfairly benefit them at your cost, that you would have paid for the trade secrets to be developed, the person to be trained, whatever it is. And if they go to a competitor, that's a potential problem. Um, That being said, most states in the country don't want to have restraints on trade that are overly burdensome. So they they limit the applicability of non-competition provisions. In Michigan, I can tell you in general, you can't have a non-competition provision that goes for more than two years after the end of your employment. And it has to be limited to geography. It has to be reasonable to what is actually competitive with the employer that you're leaving. In California, this sentence basically says non-competition provisions are completely out. But as we're going to see in what they're actually claiming in this particular lawsuit, they're not talking about a non-competition provision. They're talking about an exclusivity provision, which as best as I can tell is totally legal in California, or at least it has been prior to this lawsuit. So I suspect this is one of those that gets kicked out. And with it, a bunch of these other claims get kicked out because they're trying to expand section 16600. So let's take a look at what a California attorney and in their blog actually said about Section 16600. Again, all of these have to be vetted. This is advice from another uh, attorney. It's not legal advice. He's just trying to instruct on what these things are. And when you're looking at laws in different jurisdictions or when you're watching virtual legality, this is what you're doing. You're going and trying to find other people that have more uh, specific professional experience with the laws that you're looking at. If I were to represent a client in this case or in a similar case, it would require a great deal more research, looking into court cases, looking into how the precedent on these statutes has been formed in California. But this is enough for us to have this conversation because we can see that what they're trying to do with this provision doesn't actually apply. I've highlighted a few areas here. He says the protection under Section 16600 against any restraint on employment presents a strong public policy in California. The interests of the employee in his own mobility and betterment are deemed paramount to the competitive business interests of employers. For years, Section 16600 has been held to invalidate agreements that contain provisions that restrain employees from engaging in competitive employment after leaving a former employer. To add insult to injury, the risks to an employer of a restrictive covenant are greater than simply having an unenforceable clause in its agreements. A clause that is void under Section 16600 may also violate California's Unfair Practices Act set forth in Section 17200 of the California Business and Professions Code. In other words, they have a 
piece of legislation, they have a statute that says you're not allowed to engage in unfair trade practices. Very similar to the Federal Trade Commission Act that we've reviewed on a number of episodes of virtual legality. You're not allowed to do things that are unfair or untowards. And basically the way California law has worked is they said, if you violate section 16600, you're probably already violating the Unfair Practices Act because you're doing something illegal in your contract. And so they tend to be bundled up. And we'll see in this claim that they are in fact bundled up because he's a California lawyer and he knows what he's doing. Um, going forward, it says the Cal- California Supreme Court found that Section 16600 unambiguously dictates that even partial restraints on the ability of employees to practice their profession are prohibited. Thus, the Edwards Court not only declared the non-competition provision void, but the California Supreme Court also held for the first time that customer non-solicitation clauses were also void. And again, I will link this in the description. I found this to be a useful blog entry. Uh, it's from 2011, so it's from years and years and years ago. And this might have advanced even further since then. But it's a good framework for the overall use of Section 16600 in California and what it was designed for and what the courts have interpreted it for, which is generally non-competition, non-solicitation provisions that apply after you have left your employment with California uh, with a California and employer. And so we go back to the actual lawsuit and we see that that's not at all the kind of provision that we're talking about here. What what we are talking about, as we can see here, is Section 5A of the Gamer Agreement's Terms and Conditions states as follows. Throughout the term, unless Gamer has obtained company's prior written consent, Gamer shall not provide services or otherwise work for or be employed by a gaming company or other gaming brands or any companies that already have an agreement with company. So... They won't provide services to other folks that otherwise have an agreement with FaZe. Appear in, sponsor, or be sponsored by, or otherwise promote or endorse directly or indirectly any brand's products or services other than the brand's products and services approved in writing by company. So you won't do other sponsorship unless it's approved by FaZe. Promote, sponsor, endorse, or render services for, or on behalf of any companies with products or services competitive with a product or service of company, or a sponsor or advertiser of company. So you won't endorse things that are competitive with phase. The parties acknowledge and agree that with respect to company's prior approval over any sponsorship and or endorsement opportunity, the company shall be entitled to negotiate the terms and conditions of any such opportunities presented to Gamer with the goal of increasing the value of such opportunities to Gamer and company, and that throughout the exclusivity period, company will also work to source sponsorship and or endorsement opportunities on behalf of Gamer. So this provision, if we were to really nail it down, isn't talking about non-competition in the way that we usually think about it, which is preventing somebody from performing their livelihood after they have left your employment or your contractual relationship. Instead, this is talking about exclusivity. It's saying, when we sign this agreement, you will exclusively be uh, working for us. You won't compete with things that aren't ours. You will ask for our consent to do sponsorships, and we will have the right to negotiate your agreements. This is normal for again, an agent type relationship because they want to have the ability to make sure that they can represent you and that you can't go to somewhere else and also be represented. Now, that might sound similar to non-competition. And in fact, it is because the California statute is written so broadly, it could be applied to something like an exclusivity provision. But historically, we haven't seen that. He goes on to talk about Section 5B, which says during the exclusivity period, companies shall have approval over any and all third-party requests for gamer services. Accordingly, gamers shall notify phase of these things. And nothing in this paragraph shall in any way obligate company to approve the request or be deemed to limit the exclusivity provisions elsewhere in the agreement. 
He then says that on their face, 5A and 5B constitute illegal restraints on trade and an anti-competitive agreement in violation of Section 16600. But that doesn't, at least as far as I can tell, appear to be the case. If we look at just a very brief description from a different California law blog that is advising people on what to look for in their talent agreements, then we see here that the first thing you need to know is that the talent agency contract or agreement you sign with in California may be an exclusive or non-exclusive agency contract. If it is an exclusive agency contract, you may not sign with any other agency to represent you for the same things, unless the contract is more limited. The exclusivity is more limited. We have here, as he's describing it, what I would have expected, which is you can have an exclusive agreement, you can have a non-exclusive agreement, but California, section 16600, isn't terribly concerned with you agreeing that this person will exclusively represent you while you're in the contractual relationship. When they're talking about restraint of trade, at least as far as they have used it historically, it has been about that tail period, that period where you're no longer contractually related to the entity or contractually related to another individual, but are now out there and you've got this provision that is preventing you from competing with them, preventing you from soliciting their clients or their customers, their employees. And California has a real issue with that, that tail period, but not with the notion of exclusivity as best as I could tell. So this is reaching. And when I look at a, a lawsuit like this and I see it say that it is illegal restraints on trade that are clear, that this is obvious and things of that nature, I always feel like you're, you're, protesting too much as it is. And so I think that section 16600 in this instance is going a bit too far. He continues with going into section 5C that says if at any time prior to the end of the exclusivity period or within three months thereafter, Gamer receives an offer to join another Fortnite team, Gamer shall be obligated to provide the offer to company and the company has the right to match it. Again, that's not a non-competition provision as we have used it in the law. That's what we would call a right of first refusal or a right of first offer. Uh, and that basically says, okay, yeah, you can potentially go and try to look somewhere else, but if you decide to join another team, then we get to match the terms of that offer. You, you get to stay with us and you'll make the same amount of money. You'll be in the same position, but you'll be working with us and you give us that right. Now, people that would point out, hey, a right of first refusal does potentially have at least a, a chilling effect on the margins because those Fortnite teams that you might join are going to be a little bit less willing to even enter into negotiations with you if they know that whatever hard work they do can be immediately matched by FaZe and you're stuck staying with them. So there is a chilling effect on it. But while that could be conceived broadly in the English language as a restraint on trade, it hasn't historically been what California has been using that statute for. So this is really asking for a pretty significant expansion of the understanding of that statute. And it's, a, it's an expansion that I think is unlikely to be received well, even in California, because you are talking about a contract that was entered into, as best we can tell, by reasonable people with counsel and everything else. And so while they want to claim that it's oppressive and they need to claim that it's oppressive to try to have these things apply, it doesn't necessarily hold water for me, which again, I'm not a California lawyer. These things have a higher likelihood of success in California than they do elsewhere. And so there is a possibility that this kind of thing uh, could work. They're, they go on and talk about a number of other provisions in the contract, none of which are really as strong as that. They talk about publicity and likeness rights. Uh, and then they ultimately ask for the agreement to be terminated on this basis, section 16600. The next claim that we see is what we talked about when we were talking about that other legal blog that is a section 17200 claim. 
It says, this is a claim for violation of California Business and Professions Code, Section 17200, which precludes a person or entity from engaging in unfair competition, defined as business practices that are unlawful, unfair, or fraudulent. And basically, the entire claim is, hey, if they violated Section 1600, they also violated Section 17200. Now, I think it's fine to have that claim in a, in a lawsuit like this. It doesn't do a lot of good because if you win the Section 16600 claim, you don't need 17200. And if you don't win the Section 16600 claim, you don't really have a Section 17200 claim in and of itself. So these go together. They're bundled together. These are the weaker parts of this claim, in my opinion. Then we get to the fourth cause of action, which is for money it had received. It says FaZe Clan and other defendants have received money from third parties that was intended to benefit Tenny. That is upon information and belief, FaZe Clan has received payment uh, and these monies were not used for the benefit of Tenny and were not provided to Tenny. Again, this is very similar to a breach of contract claim straight up. And so if this is in fact the case where FaZe owed money to Tenny under the contract terms and didn't pay them, then... Yes, this is a legitimate complaint. This is the kind of thing that would be sussed out in discovery as to what happened with the money, and they would have counterclaims and defenses, undoubtedly, and that would be something that would come out in the wash, but that we can't really talk about from a legal basis standpoint, other than to say, if that's true, it's a legitimate claim. Then we get to Quantum Merowit. We talked about that at the top of this video. That basically says, hey, if the contract is otherwise kicked out, you still owe me money because I did stuff for you, and probably if the contract's kicked out, they would, ha they would ask for uh, the money that would otherwise be owed on the commission terms that were agreed to, if not better commission terms. We have a breach of written contract claim against them, which goes directly to that payment of money concept. And uh, then we have a breach of fiduciary duty claim against uh, FaZe. It says, irrespective of whether FaZe Clan qualifies as a talent agency, as that term is defined by California's Talent Agency Act, FaZe Clan acted as Tenney's agent. In particular, FaZe Clan acted as Tenny's agent in sourcing and negotiating sponsorship deals that would offer Tenny's services. Accordingly, FaZe Clan owed Tenny a fiduciary duty by virtue of such an agent-principal relationship. Again, this is an interesting claim, and it is uh, partially true. Certainly, if you've got a situation where someone is going out and representing you and is especially collecting money on your behalf, then you do have that fiduciary obligation to not steal their money to use the money in the way that it is intended. But that's not really what this claim is about. This is actually claiming a breach of the duty of loyalty, that when you are entered into a relationship of this type, you have to uh, worry about conflicts of interest and not representing them to the best of your ability. This continues by saying, as a fiduciary, FaZe Clan owed Tenny a duty of undivided loyalty and was required to act with the utmost good faith and in Tenny's best interest in particular in connection with sponsorship or any other deals that may be brought to Tenny. Again, this claim is made really without any kind of reference to laws or precedent or anything of that nature. It speaks more to a kind of common law concept that basically says if you are a representative of someone else, you owe them that duty of loyalty. That being said, when you've got a contract relationship, that contract relationship generally describes what the duties are between individuals and between individuals and entities. So the contract itself is going to reflect what obligations they have in respect of duties of loyalty and fiduciary obligations. And when you've got references to the fact that FaZe Clan probably does represent other people, probably does represent other potential sponsors, things of that nature, the contract itself is going to come into play here. But on its face, this is probably a decent argument 
Uh, and certainly we see one of the complaints here in Section 51 about what they're talking about. It says, FaZe Clan knowingly acted against Tenny's interest by passing on and or preventing Tenny from moving forward with a sponsorship brand deal with HyperX. Upon information and belief, FaZe Clan passed on that sponsorship deal due to a conflict of interest. FaZe Clan perceived that HyperX was a competitor of another sponsor that did business with FaZe Clan. As a result, FaZe Clan elected to cause Tenny to pass the HyperX sponsorship deal because that deal conflicted with FaZe Clan's own interests, its interests not to upset another sponsor and potentially jeopardize and negatively impact its relationship with that sponsor. FaZe Clan also knowingly acted against Tenny's interest by preventing third parties from helping Tenny source sponsorship deals. Consequently, FaZe Clan breached its fiduciary duty of undivided loyalty owed to Tenny. Now, the problem with this claim is, as we saw in the actual contractual provisions, and let's see if we can pull those up real quickly, Tenny has agreed to not compete with what FaZe Clan is doing with respect to its other sponsors. He entered into Section 5A, the exclusivity period, that says he will not appear in, sponsor, or be sponsored by, or otherwise promote or endorse any brands, products, or services other than the brands, products, and services approved in writing by company, or promote, sponsor, endorse, or render services for, for or on behalf of any companies with products or services competitive with the product or service of company or a sponsor or advertiser of company. So in black and white, in the words that he agreed to, he said, okay, I understand what this relationship is. And you can talk about his sophistication, and they certainly do, and talk about whether or not he's capable of entering into an agreement of this type. But he says... I won't promote or endorse things that are competitive with you or your sponsors. He agrees to that. And it says, he says, FaZe is allowed to negotiate all these opportunities and it's allowed to withhold consent. It's allowed to decide what this looks like. He's essentially saying FaZe gets to decide when these things apply and that's okay with me. I'm agreeing to that because of certain other benefits. I'm agreeing to that because they can go out and find these opportunities in the first instance. So, whether or not they're violating their obligations as a fiduciary duty, it doesn't ring entirely true to me, but it doesn't mean that there isn't a potential claim here, and certainly a claim that would be colored by California precedent, by other contract rulings that have happened in California on similar circumstances, and certainly as the basis for Hollywood, as the land where these kinds of relationships exist most prominently in the United States, I'm sure they have a number of cases that talk about similar concepts, similar issues. And so I do think California law is going to come into play even more than kind of generalized contract principles here. But I do sit back and say, yeah, you really need to get the contract kicked out for some kind of oppression claim, something like that. Because if you don't, the words on the page really suggest that this kind of thing where they say, nope, not HyperX because they're a competitor with our existing sponsor and will instead try to get you a sponsorship with our existing sponsor. That sounds like what was agreed to as part of the relationship in the first instance. So I look at that and say, okay, I get it. You're upset with your contract, but it seems like this is buyer's remorse. It seems like you're upset with what you agreed to rather than uh, that they came out of nowhere and put this on you and prevented you from entering into a, some kind of sponsorship that you would have liked. Uh, in section 52, they say, upon information and belief, at least some of the other defendants aided and abetted the breach of fiduciary duty. Those defendants knew that FaZe Clan was acting against Tenny's best interests. Moreover, upon information and belief, those other defendants gave substantial assistance and or encouragement to FaZe Clan by actively participating in FaZe Clan's rejection of HyperX sponsorship deal on Tenny's behalf. 
that is vague and ambiguous as all heck. There are other players that are involved in keeping HyperX away from Tofu. That doesn't make much sense in this context. That'll be interesting to see fleshed out uh, if this proceeds further down the discovery pathway, although I suspect this will get settled out. Uh, As a direct and proximate result of FaZe Clan and the other defendants' conduct, Tenny has suffered and continues to suffer damages in an amount to be proven at trial. He's asking for essentially the money that was lost from the HyperX sponsorship. He's unhappy that he was prevented from joining the HyperX sponsorship. And here we maybe start to get the contours of why this lawsuit happened. In September of last year, he was unhappy with certain things. He said they weren't paying him. And then probably in the relatively recent past, he had this opportunity to enter into a lucrative sponsorship. FaZe blocked him under its rights under the contract. And now he wants out of the contract entirely either because he didn't realize that he had agreed to those rights or because a lawyer has told him that maybe they can get the contract kicked out. Either way, this is now a toxic and dysfunctional relationship between FaZe and Tofu, and it's not one that I see as likely to continue in any kind of useful way. Then we get the repetition of the causes for action, asking for damages and things of that nature, and then we get the final signature. But on top of all this, the best claim, in my opinion, is not one that necessarily appears fully in the lawsuit itself, but instead in the petition to the labor commissioner on the Talent Agency Act. So we get a lot of repetition from the lawsuit complaint that we've already seen. And then we see it described FaZe Clan as follows. It is not a licensed talent agency and exploits young artists like Tenny through oppressive and predatory long-term contracts whereby FaZe Clan owns the artist and the artist's career. Under its illegal gamer arguments, FaZe Clan secures the purported right to procure employment or engagements for young artists like Tenny, and to that end, FaZe Clan's primary and essential function is to promote and sell Tenny's artistic services and procure sponsorship deals which feature those services. That is, sponsors pay for Tenny to perform in and create online content and or to model apparel featuring the sponsor's brands. FaZe Clan then retains a grossly unconscionable commission for sourcing the deal up to 80%. To add insult to injury, FaZe Clan uses the gamer agreement to prevent Tenny from procuring or negotiating such employment opportunities without FaZe Clan and prevents Tenny from using the services of a legitimate and licensed talent agency. FaZe Clan's continuous and systematic procurement and attempted procurement of employment engagements for Tenny as an artist is an illegal and brazen violation of California's Talent Agency Act because FaZe Clan has illegally procured and attempted to procure employment and engagements without the required license from the California Labor Commissioner. The gamer agreement should be deemed void and unenforceable. And likewise, FaZe Clan should disgorge all commissions, monies, or other consideration that it has retained under the gamer agreement. Because FaZe Clan is unlicensed, it has avoided regulation by the Labor Commissioner. The need for licensure is dire. Uh, And it says, in one instance, Tenny suffered an injury which, which resulted in permanent disfigurement, a deep wound that likely required stitches. FaZe Clan also encourages underage drinking and gambling in FaZe Clan's so-called Clout House and FaZe House, where FaZe Clan talent live and frequently party. It is also widely publicized that FaZe Clan has attempted to exploit at least one artist who is a minor. Then it goes on to say all the bad things that FaZe Clan is doing. Uh, It goes on to make the factual allegations. And then it starts to talk about the gamer agreement. Based on the express terms of the gamer agreement, FaZe Clan was tasked with procuring and attempting to procure employment or engagements featuring Tenny as an artist. Under the section of the gamer agreement entitled Compensation, FaZe Clan was entitled to an unconscionable 80% commission for certain employment engagements procured by FaZe Clan. Specifically, 
the gamer agreement states in pertinent part as follows. Brand deals featuring the gamer that exist on gamer or company's content creation platforms or social media sites, if the deal is brought to gamer by company, 20% to gamer and 80% to company. Now, if that's the case, 80% is a very, very, very high number for these kinds of representations. And it's interesting that while this appeared in the petition to the labor commissioner, it didn't appear in the lawsuit itself. And so it's interesting how this was drafted, but I do think it's a strong argument that this is potentially a problematic business practice. And they're using it again to lay the groundwork for uh, whether or not this should be kicked out, in this case by the labor commissioner rather than by the court, and on the premise that this is a talent agency. The unconscionability of the contract notwithstanding, they're saying that this is a talent agency under the California Act and that if, if, it, if it is unlicensed, all these penalties should flow down to it. And I think it's a decent enough argument. This continues to go on and say uh, Section 5A talks about negotiating the terms and conditions exclusively. I don't think those are winning arguments. We talked about that already. Uh, and then it says what FaZe Clan does is get these sponsorship deals for these folks. It talks about the bad acts by having them uh, be uh, in the house, drinking, partying. It talks about the permanent disfigurement uh, of the injury to his arm while skateboarding. Uh, fair enough. Could be FaZe's fault. Uh, that, again, seems like a bit of a stretch. But the overall thrust of this is regarding whether or not they're a talent agency that is unlicensed. And it says they would ask for an order requiring FaZe Clan to disgorge and repay to Tenny any and all monies, consideration, or things of value received by FaZe Clan directly or indirectly as a result of the gamer agreement, including without limitation any and all commissions, fees, profits, advances, plus interest thereon at the rate of 10% per annum. So he wants 10% interest and all of the money back. He wants it all kicked out. So this is the nuclear weapon that they have decided to deploy here, which is, okay, forgetting all of the contract claims that we brought up in court, we're going to claim that this is a talent agency. It's acting illegally. And once you've got an illegal talent agency in California, they should have to get their contract kicked out and they should have to disgorge anything and everything that they earned as a talent agent because that's illegal in California. And also we'd like 10% interest. So this is really the main thrust of the argument. And when we're talking about this kind of from a strategic point of view, I think we've established that in all likelihood, what we've got here is a case of buyer's remorse. And we've got a case where this individual tofu wants to get out of the contract above all else. And so he has deployed his biggest weapon by saying everything should be disgorged. And by the way, if this is the precedent, if these esports companies and these streaming companies have to abide by the California Talent Agency Act, a whole bunch of stuff happens in the industry. A whole bunch of additional regulation, approvals, things of that nature pop up. So let's take a look at the actual Talent Agency Act and why I think they probably have a decent argument for why this kind of thing should apply. So I pulled up in California. They do a good thing. They excerpt some of their labor codes. They excerpt some of their laws so that people can see them as they relate to specific subject matter. And this says laws relating to talent agencies, excerpts from the California Labor Code and Code of Regulations. And what I really want to focus on is the definitions. They're absolutely right to say, hey, talent agencies are supposed to be licensed. We can go back, we can go down to the main provision here, which says no person shall engage in or carry on the occupation of a talent agency without first procuring a license, therefore, from the labor commissioner. Obviously, there's a bunch of other stuff, 
Highly recommend it, reading it if you're interested in becoming a talent agent in California, but it's not necessarily pertinent to what we're discussing right now. So you can't act as a talent agency without getting a license. So what is a talent agency? It says here, section 1700.4, talent agency means a person or corporation, so phase is a corporation, who engages in the occupation of procuring, offering, promising, or attempting to procure employment or engagements for an artist or artists. That's the main thrust. And it says it doesn't apply to recording contracts uh, for an artist or artist that shall not subject itself, a person or corporation, to regulation and licensing. Talent agencies may, in addition, counsel or direct artists in the development of their professional careers. Talent agencies can help manage them. That's the main thing. A talent agency is a corporation who procures engagements for an artist. Great. That's helpful. But of course, we need the definition of artist now. And that says artists are actors and actresses rendering services on the legitimate stage and in the production of motion pictures, radio artists, musical artists, musical organizations, directors of legitimate stage, motion picture and radio productions, musical directors, writers, cinematographers, composers, lyricists, arrangers, models, and other artists and persons rendering professional services in motion picture, theatrical, radio, television, and other entertainment enterprises. So I think it's difficult to call Tofu an actor. You see that referenced a couple places in the complaint and some other places in the petition for relief, but he is certainly a person. Is he an artist or person rendering professional services in motion picture, theatrical, radio, television, and other entertainment enterprises? Well, fortunately, that whole phrase is also defined. It talks about theatrical engagement, motion picture engagement, and emergency engagement. As used in this chapter, a theatrical engagement means any engagement or employment of a person as an actor, performer, or entertainer in a circus, vaudeville, theatrical, or other entertainment exhibition or performance. Okay, that's interesting. So if we phrase this out, if we limit it to only what we care about, a theatrical engagement means an engagement of a person as a performer or entertainer in an entertainment exhibition or performance. Okay, that's that's pretty close. Motion picture engagement is similar. It says means any engagement or employment of a person as an actor, actress, director, scenario, or continuity writer, cameraman, or in any capacity concerned with the making of motion pictures. Okay, so it's similar, but probably not what we're looking for. That actually requires you to be an actor, actress, director, scenario, continuity writer, or cameraman. In any capacity broadens it so they can apply it broadly if they want to. And then emergency engagement talks about uh, people being needed within 24 hours. But overall, is tofu an artist is where I think this entire thing winds up resting. Because if he is an artist, if he can rightly be thought of as a performer in an exhibition, even though it's recorded, even though it's streamed, and it's not really uh, the best match for theatrical engagement, then if he is that artist, then chances are FaZe absolutely is a talent agency. And if they are a talent agency and they are unlicensed, then yes, probably under California law, all the bad things that Tofu and his attorneys are claiming should happen to them. So the ultimate crux of the question is are Twitch streamers artists? And if they are not, and they may not be, I think that they've probably got a pretty good argument that they are uh, because I think this is designed to cover this kind of relationship and because uh, 
it is old enough to not necessarily reflect the current state of the world, then I think that it could apply to Twitch uh, pretty easily, but maybe it doesn't right now. And maybe the statute, maybe the regulations here need to be revised and expanded. That's one thing that you often see in these kinds of cases is somebody coming out and saying, well, it's close, but we're not quite sure that this falls under the current definition of artists. And then the Department of Labor could say, yes, backward looking, that's true. But forward looking, we're going to make sure that artists includes directly streaming people, people that stream on Twitch or stream on YouTube or elsewhere. But I read this and say the spirit of the rule is to capture all people rendering professional services, which is clearly happening here. He's doing these things for money in motion picture, theatrical, radio, television, and other entertainment enterprises. So even there, when we talk about artists, they have this kind of broad definition already designed to be an umbrella. So if he's a person rendering professional services in other entertainment enterprises, I think you could say he's an artist, absolutely. And if he is an artist, then FaZe is a talent agency, at least as described in the complaint and petition for relief. So that's where I really see the the kind of important argument here, uh, the kind of winning argument, if I'm looking at it from Tofu's perspective and saying, okay, oppressive contract, maybe not. The exclusivity provisions are not really non-competition provisions. They're not really designed to be kicked out in California. Maybe California expands that law as a, as a result of this lawsuit. I would doubt it. But the talent agency claim does have the ring of truth as I look at it, does make me think, okay, that sounds to me like a potential winning argument. And here's the thing, because it is so important, because you're looking at a disgorgement, because you're looking at having to submit to the Department of Labor, you probably would be looking at a settlement, something getting kicked out pretty quick uh, if FaZe doesn't want to be held to those standards. However, They've already filed it with the Department of Labor. I don't know what California's standard practices are, but it would surprise me if you can just get it kicked out by settling the the case at this point in time. The Department of Labor might well take an interest in this independent of what happens with this contract, what happens with the tofu phase relationship, because they have been informed about it. They have been told that these are bad actors. You have that petition that talks about people getting injured, that talks about minors drinking, that talks about all manner of bad things. And this is the kind of thing from a government official's side of things that could make good press, could look very good for them trying to maintain the safety of their people, trying to impose the rule of law on these various entities. So I look at this as a situation where what amounts to buyer's remorse, what amounts to a soured relationship in one of the biggest entertainment enterprises in the world at this point in time, and it legitimately is an entertainment enterprise. So I think the Talent Act California's Talent Act probably is intended to apply to this kind of thing, even if the words that you have to use are a little bit more on the umbrella side, where you have to talk about other entertainment performances and you have to bring in other definitions of artists and things of that nature, or you have to call him theatrical, even if it's a Twitch stream. I think it's intended to apply to those kinds of things. And I think that businesses like FaZe that are going out and getting sponsorships are going out and finding engagements for these people are acting in kind of the normal English language sense as talent agents for these people, for these individuals. And if that is the case, and if they aren't licensed, I think this is very likely to be the start of a licensing paradigm for these esports enterprises, for these companies that do this kind of thing. And whether or not you think that's a good idea or a bad idea, I think this is the type of case, this is the type of thing that 
even if it started as something small, even if it started as someone that was trying to get out on the six month probation window and failed to do it, this might have lasting and significant repercussions on esports, on Twitch streaming, on YouTube videos, on Facebook streams, on any number of things that if you're watching virtual legality, you probably partake in to some extent. And I think it's worthwhile to keep your eyes on because it is a big story. And I don't think the contract claims are very strong, but I do think the talent agency claim is pretty strong. And so I think that this is not going to get any smaller before it gets significantly bigger. And we'll be following it on virtual legality. That's our episode for today. If you like this, please do like, please subscribe to the channel. I am talking about these kinds of things all the time. I covered Sony Microsoft Alliance last week. I covered Ubisoft changing uh, its marketing promises from allowing matchmaking in all of its Division II services and whether or not that was deceptive advertising. I talked about the Apple Supreme Court case. And of course, I covered Game of Thrones, which I want to do. I do a lot of pop culture videos on this site as well because I am interested in those kinds of things. I'm interested in narrative structure. If you like any of those, please check them out. Uh, They are all available on my channel. Otherwise, please share around. I always get great engagement when these videos that you are sharing with people that are interested come and talk to me and tell me I'm an idiot or tell me that I'm a smart guy. I like either. I like that engagement either way, and it's always fun to have those conversations. Otherwise, if you watch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you caught this on a podcast, thank you so much for listening. Please do review it on that podcast service. I really do appreciate that as well. Otherwise, I will catch you on the very next Virtual Legality. (laughs) 